Hello, my name is Hyunsung Kang and welcome to this podcast produced by the IMF in Washington, D.C. In recent years, Islamic finance has generated significant interest around the world and globally the assets of Islamic banks have grown at double-digit rates for a decade. Interest further surged in recent months, not least because Islamic banks weathered the recent financial crisis better than their traditional counterparts. Many governments, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, are now looking at Islamic finance as a new source of funding. Earlier, I spoke to Amadou C, an economist with the IMF and an expert on the subject, and I began by asking him how Islamic banks differed from more conventional banks. The main difference would be that Islamic finance is more about risk sharing and is mostly asset-based, whereas conventional finance is more debt-based and about risk transfer. In tangible terms, it means, for example, that an Islamic bank has two ways of making profit. One way would be to share the risk with a customer. We could uh, both invest in a project and you will be equity, an equity holder and uh, the bank will be an equity holder and we share the profits and the losses. So that's a risk sharing there. Uh, whereas for a conventional bank, the downside for the conventional bank is limited by the collateral it will take. So it will give you the money, uh, you buy a house, but if you don't repay, it will seize, uh, repossess the, the, the house. So there's no downside for the bank in that sense. But the, the conventional bank could then transfer that risk to some other investors by just selling your mortgage. Can you explain the fundamental underpinnings of Islamic finance? Obviously, they're based on the Quran, but you say, for example, there's no interest involved. Why not? Well, it's uh, this idea of, of prohibiting interest. It's not solely an Islamic principle. Many religions prohibited uh, usury. And if my memory is correct, for example, in, even if in the Bible we talk about the Jubilee, which is where you have to forgive some debt. So basically there is this um, idea that usury is unfair and then risk have to be shared. So if there's no interest involved in Islamic finance, then where do the profits come from? The profits can come from investing in risky projects. Uh, the main difference will be that you as a customer will be sharing uh, those uh, risk if you choose so. Um, another way for them to make money is uh, to purchase an asset and then send it, sell it back to you uh, at a markup price. So for example, if I take example of a uh, Islamic mortgage, in a conventional mortgage, you would borrow money and then you would receive the deed of the property and you will have to pay the principal and the interest back. Uh, in an Islamic mortgage, basically, the bank holds the deed and you pay every month uh, an installment. And once you've finished paying, you receive the deed. So it's almost like a lease. Now, I understand that Islamic banking has, has witnessed a huge surge in interest in the last few years, mm -hmm. not least in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this increase in business that it's been doing in this area. 
Yeah, um, there are f- a few drivers of this uh, is growth of Islamic finance. You could see there's push and pull factors. One main push factor is um, the fact that oil price has gone very high and benefited uh, economies in the Gulf countries. And banks, uh, Islamic banks in the Gulf countries are um, in a strong position to expand. And uh, Africa being a new frontier, uh, they are interested into um, um, growing their asset base out of the Gulf, and Africa is one target. Another factor, which is mainly a pull factor, is the fact that in many African countries, such as Ethiopia uh, or South Africa, the Islamic segment of the population is increasingly demanding Islamic financial products. And, and that has also helped spur the growth of Islamic finance in Africa. Why are they demanding Islamic financial products? That would mainly be uh, for religious reasons. For example, the fact that uh, they do not want to uh, receive or pay interest. Do you think that the rise of Islamic financial organization is a reflection of some kind of failing on the part of more traditional Western-style banks? Mm, That's a tough question. I would say that there is a complementarity between uh, the two systems. I'll give you an interesting example from Malaysia. So typically, uh, Islamic conventional mortgages in Malaysia are a variable rate, are floating rate. And then we visited a bank uh, called Hong Leong Bank, which is the bank of the Chinese community in Malaysia, very successful bank, which was offering uh, Islamic mortgages. So we asked them, well, you have Chinese customers mainly, why are you offering Islamic mortgages? And then they said, well, the Islamic mortgages we offer are fixed rate, offer fixed rate, and there's a demand in the community, in the Chinese community for fixed rate mortgages, and then it's working well for us. So does that mean that it poses some sort of competition to more traditional banking and now traditional banking might be forced to offer those fixed rate mortgages where they haven't in the past? Well, it does. But so far, um, in most countries, maybe except Sudan and Iran, Islamic uh, banking is still a niche market, although it's growing fast. But uh, the competition from the conventional uh, finance is is, uh, quite... uh, Large. What about in terms of investment? I understand that a lot of Islamic financing has gone into infrastructure investment in the yes. region. That, that's, that's a very um, high, potentially a very high growth area because, as I said before, um, Islamic finance is asset-based. So uh, when a country is, for example, building a toll road or um, some other assets, uh, infrastructure projects, uh, these type of projects can very easily be structured and and financed using Islamic financial instruments. I can give you a very simple example. Let's say a country is building a toll road, and it's a very expensive one. And of course, um, concessional funding is cheaper, but sometimes these projects are so large that it's not enough. So let's say that the fund agrees and everything is fine. You can have some non-concessional funding. Well, it's very easy, for example, to issue a certificate called the Sukuk, whereby um, the Sukuk holders uh, will not be paid by uh, uh, interest, but by uh, using these um, uh, toll road revenues. 
So that works very well. You have an asset, which is the, the toll road. You have these revenues from the toll roads, and you use them to pay um, uh, your financiers. And has this happened? Are there um, uh-huh. infrastructure projects which have been financed in this way? Um, uh, in the rest of the world, yes. In Africa, to my knowledge, uh, there's a lot of noise these days for some countries like Senegal to issue a sukuk to fund a toll road. And that was Amadousi of the International Monetary Fund. And to hear more of our podcasts, log on to our website on www.imf.org forward slash podcasts.